Turn with me, if you would, to Revelation, last book in the Bible, Revelation chapter 2. We're looking at seven letters to seven churches. And we've looked at the church in Ephesus and the church in Smyrna. This morning we're looking at the church in Pergamum. But let me remind you that what I have to say this morning is short and uh, of a personal nature, a preach. If you want to go into the text in greater detail and look at some of the imagery, because Revelation is heavy in imagery, then um, you need to go to Harvest Church Croydon on YouTube uh, this Wednesday coming and uh, go to the playlist Digging Deeper and there you will see it, Seven Letters to Seven Churches, Pergamum. What I'm saying to you this morning will be on the Sunday teaching on the, the same YouTube channel. So we're going to the church in Pergamum. Revelation chapter 2 Verse 12, to the angel of the church in Pergamum, write, These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans, Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it known only to him who receives it. Father, would you speak to us through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, we could talk about the double-edged sword we could talk about Balaam and Balak and the Nicolaitans. We could talk about hidden manna and a white stone. But these are all for our Digging Deeper series. I want to just bring a few words to you this morning. I know where you live. This could sound almost mafiosa. Uh, you know, when the, uh, the mafia have threatened someone to do what they want. I know where you live. 
Well, Jesus is saying, I know where you live. I've got your postcode. But this isn't a threatening piece of information. What Jesus is saying here is, I know all about you. That's what he'd like to say to you this morning. I know all about you. I know what you're going through. I know your circumstances. I know the challenges you're facing. I know the dilemmas that you are in. And I am with you in it. That's what he's saying to you this morning. This is a church in war. This is a church in conflict. Ephesus, we're talking about love. You've forgotten your first love. Smyrna, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. Pergamum, I know where you live. It's a spiritual battle zone. Pergamum. If we read through the book of uh, Revelation later on, we will see the we will see Satan or the devil disguised as a dragon. Uh, he is the spiritual entity that's introduced to us in Genesis three when the snake comes into the Garden of Eden. He is described in the Bible as the prince of the power of the air. He's described in the Bible as the accuser of the brethren. He's the leader of the demonic forces that are at work in the spiritual realms. You see, we live in two worlds. The first world is very known to us. It's the world of space and time, of flesh and bone, of materials. But there is a spiritual dimension to life and most of us at one time or another we reach out into that spiritual dimension we may uh, seek religion to pursue that spiritual dimension we may seek the occult we might follow the world of the supernatural even those who have no faith who have uh, no particular belief in the spiritual realms when someone near to them dies they something they say something pseudo spiritual like i hope he's looking down on me see that's the kind of that's the spiritual within us and uh, the devil is in charge of the dark side of our spiritual realm and later in the book, he's described as a dragon. And this dragon has three generals under his control, three specific generals. One is described as the beast. We'll look at these later someday. But he's described as the beast. He is the personification of brutal oppression by force, identified in John's day as the power of the Roman Empire. But it could be Hitler, it could be Stalin, it could be any of these world leaders who operate under force, oppressing, killing, murdering. The dragon has the beast 
under his control. He also has the false prophet. The false prophet is the personification of pagan philosophy and religion that often gives the beast a message. And so uh, Mao Zedong had his little red book. Uh, the communist party had their communist dogma backing up what they were doing. Uh, Hitler had his rhetoric about the Aryan race and so forth. That's the false prophet speaking. And the third of the dragon's henchmen, if you like, is the harlot. And she is there uh, dripping blood from the martyrs, but she stands for the lust of the flesh, for the world of sexual and material indulgence. So there you have this ungodly trinity of the beast, the false prophet, and the harlot, and they are all puppets in the control of the dragon Satan himself. Now, why do I tell you this? Because all four are present in Pergamum. The devil lives there. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, where Satan lives. And the beast is there, the mighty power of Rome is there. 133 BC, it was made, uh, it became a Roman city. It was the capital of Asia, the Roman capital of Asia. And there is the mark of the beast over Pergamum. Uh, there were pagan temples in Pergamum uh, by the dozen. Temples to this, temples to that, worshipping this, worshipping that. And not least, emperor worship. Caesar is Lord, worshipping the divine emperor of Rome. And of course, coming with the beast and the false prophet, you have the harlot. And so sexual immorality was rife. It was there at the temples, temple prostitutes. Uh, eating, drinking, being merry. I know where you live, church. You're in a battle. You're a church at war. You need to be a church on the offensive. You know, this is a message to all of us, regardless of what church we are in, whatever generation we are in, wherever we are in. We are in a battle. We are a church at war. Paul says, get me right, our battle is not against flesh and blood. We're not fighting people of other religions. We used to do that, but it was wrong. We're not fighting Jews. We're not fighting Muslims. We're not fighting Buddhists. We're not fighting Hindus. We're not fighting secular humanists. We're not fighting atheists. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness 
in high places. And therefore, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. So in Ephesians 6, we are given the armour of God and we take that armour to ourselves and we fight. Now, Jesus says, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. Hallelujah. You remain true to my name. Later on down the letter, we will find not everyone remained true to the name of the Lord Jesus. But as a collective, as the church in the main, you have remained true to my name, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city. They have already had at least one prominent believer martyred for his faith. And yet you remain true to my name. What does it mean to remain true to the name of Jesus? You know, you may call yourself a Christian, do you? You may call yourself a Christian. Christ is the name that defines you. I am a Christ one. I am a Jesus one. What does it mean to remain true to his name? Well, there are at least two dimensions to this. The first one is this, what we would call doctrinal truth. Believing in the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, believing in the God of Israel, believing that God is the creator, God who created the whole world, believing that he alone is God, that there is no other God but him, that he is the sustainer of all things, that he is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the one and only Son of God, that he has sent his Holy Spirit to be in the church. We believe in God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We believe that there is um, no name given amongst men whereby we may be saved save for the name of Jesus. He is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. These are all the things that we believe because that's what our Bible teaches us. That's what we believe. And in the context of a world outside that does not believe, we need to hold to the word of God, to remain true to the name of Jesus. Jesus said, I will send my Holy Spirit to you and he will lead you into all truth, that the word of God will be in you, the truth of God will be in you by his spirit. Remain true to his name. But also it's truth for living. You remain true to my name in your living. I'm talking about integrity of lifestyle. 
And so there are things in you, because of what you believe, there are things that you must do. And there are things that you must not do. And in order to be true to his name, you have to be obedient to his will. For example, Pergamum, you can't go to the pagan temples and take part in idol worship there and eat at their idol feasts because Jesus is Lord. You have no part in that. It's different in the home. Don't worry about what you should eat uh, because all, all food is clean. But when you go into that idol temple and when you pretend to be what you're not, you are not being true to my name. Now, why would they do that? Well, if you're a plumber or an electrician uh, or a carpenter, you may belong to a trade guild like our modern trade unions. And that may be how you find your work. And these trade guilds may meet in the context of a pagan temple. They may meet there to eat together and to discuss business. Now, are you going to compromise and go into the pagan temple and pretend to be like them for the sake of getting your next business contract? Or are you prepared to lose work and lose money and lose provision because you want to be faithful to what God is telling you to do. And um, all the sexual immorality that's around in Pergamum, you need to steer clear from that. Uh, the sexual morality that the Lord gives to you is one man and one woman in the context of marriage for life. That's the only legitimate sexual expression taught in the Bible. One man with one woman in the context of marriage for life. So you remain true to my name, doctrinal truth and living truth. But also you did not renounce your faith in me. It actually literally says you didn't renounce my faith my faith. It's the faith that the Lord Jesus first exercised that has been passed on to them. You didn't renounce your faith in me. You didn't deny your faith in me. And in my mind, I think of that day when Peter at the Last Supper said, Lord, if everybody rejects you, I will never reject you. And Jesus said, before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. And there is John writing this letter. John is on the island of Patmos. He's been exiled, he says, because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Because he has remained faithful he is now suffering the persecution that he's undergoing. And that's how it works. I know where you live. But you have remained 
true to my name, and you did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas. You know, how does this apply to us this morning? Well, as I said earlier, the Lord knows where you live. And your battle will not be the same as their battle. Your battle will not be the same as my battle. But we all have common elements. Let's go back to that armour of God in Ephesians 6. We all need to wear the helmet of salvation. In other words, Christ in my thinking. I need to think like Christ if I'm going to be victorious in this battle. The breastplate of righteousness. Christ in my affections. Right living because I love him. Gospel shoes. Christ in my journeying. Wherever I go, I go at the promptings of the Holy Spirit of God. And there are places that my feet will not take me to because I shouldn't be there. The belt of truth. Christ in my conduct. Integrity. As you look at me, what you see is what you get. The belt of truth. The shield of faith. Christ in my defence. The sword of the Spirit. Christ in my offence. And sum it all into one for Pergamum and for you this morning. No compromise. No compromise. God will give me the strength. And he'll give you the strength to remain true to his name, no matter what. And to hold firmly to the faith that you have. Ephesus speaks about love. Smyrna speaks about true wealth. Pergamum speaks about battle. I pray that this week you will know what it is to be an overcomer that you'll know what it is to gain the victory over the powers of darkness, over Satan, the accuser of the brethren, that you will win through in your own spiritual battle. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Father, we thank you that unlike many churches today in other parts of the world, we have the freedom to worship. We have the freedom to gather together. We have the freedom to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet at the same time, Father, we recognise that Satan lives here. Satan has his throne here. Satan is alive here.
and we stand against him. We resist him in Jesus' name. And we pray, Father, that in all our spiritual warfare, you will help us to be true to the name of Jesus, that you'll help us to remain faithful to him in every aspect of our lives. And that, Father, today, in your grace, in your mercy, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you will make us overcomers. In Jesus' name, amen.